0: You are now listening to Raise the W, recorded at the School of Communication inside the Hickey Audio Lab on the beautiful campus of Western Michigan University. Come aboard and hear the people, stories and impact of Western Michigan University. Here's your host, Tim Tarantine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raise the W, the podcast where we celebrate all things Western Michigan University. I'm excited to have with me one of those points of excitement and impact for Western Michigan University, Dr. Stacey Perryman-Clark. She is getting ready to take on new responsibilities here on campus as the Associate Dean of the Lee Honors College. Welcome, Dr. Clark. Thank you. Good to have you on board.
1: Yeah, thanks.
0: You've been doing a lot of great research and teaching and creative activities on campus. You're getting ready to move into a more uh, leadership administrative role. Yes. And and before we talk about all that excitement and how wonderfully it comes together, let's get back to who you are. Tell me about the neighborhood you grew up in.
1: So I grew up in northwest Ohio, um, a community called Point Place. And at the time, it was mostly predominantly white. And so I, re- my earliest memories, I think I moved into that house when I was about a year old. And actually, my parents still live there, and I still go back and visit wow, there. And so my awesome. daughter and my husband, we see my childhood room. Um, so when they moved there, it was predominantly white. And I remember for the first couple years of my life until maybe I was about five, I wasn't allowed to play in the front yard because when they moved in, a car drove up into the front yard to kind of scare us and scare my family. So I remember Mm. at that time, it was it was just about the time where um, blacks were starting to integrate into that neighborhood. But there was still racism and so issues of safety. So that's and, and there's still a little bit of that remnant there in that community but i think it is a little bit more integrated so that was my earliest memory just not being able to play in the front yard so we always had to play in the backyard and that's kind of how i learned how to play like softball and baseball because we always use the backyard to play and then i remember if Like one of us hit a home run or hit the ball over the fence or into next the neighbor's yard across the street, having to get my brother to go across the street and get the ball. So yeah, that's a little bit about the neighborhood. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, that's an amazing story. We could talk about that for years. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, But let's let's stay on story because that had an impact on you. (laughs) Yeah, it did. You, you went to high school there, and then you chose a university to go to college. Yes. Where'd you go to undergrad?
1: So I did my undergrad at University of Michigan, and I just really decided to go there because I had an older sister who was already there. And so a little bit about me, I'm the baby of the family, and so I whatever my older sister did, I would do just because I was the baby and I kind of looked up to her and just kind of following in her shoes, not really thinking, doing a lot of shopping for colleges. It just was... I would go there, and my older sister would show me the ropes, and then I would go and do something else, and then as I got older, I figured out that my older sister couldn't show me the ropes anymore, especially when I wanted to think about grad school and you know other careers, so it actually, in some ways, the roles kind of reversed, because I ended up getting my PhD before she got hers, so it's kind of funny how that worked out, but in some ways, she still does kind of show me the ropes, so that's why wow. I went to U of M, yeah.
0: And so you followed your sister there, and what did you study?
1: I studied creative writing and literature, and actually... It was because I picked that major because I liked writing. At first, I thought I was going to, you know, be an OBGYN and go into yeah. the biological sciences because I was pretty good at math and science when I was in school. But then I figured out, do I want to spend my time, like, studying? So I wanted yeah. a major that I could excel at, but that was kind of easy, but something I liked doing. And so my older sister introduced me to her creative writing professor, um, and she was in the residential college there, it was a smaller community. And she said, I've been taking for my humanities credits this creative writing class, and all we do is workshop and we work one on one. And he thought I was a good writer. And I told him, You actually, you really need to meet my sister. Right. She's way better at this. So I was one of the few freshmen that could get into that two, 200, 2000 level creative writing class. And then I got, because she kind of got me in. And so I got hooked, and that's kind of how I, you know, got into that major.
0: What an interesting talent yeah. mix—a yeah. mathematician who's a creative writer.
1: Yeah. Now I'm not so good at math anymore, <laughs> but and science. But I was in high school. Yeah. So you went
0: on to get your PhD.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where'd you get that? So I got my um, I got my master's at um, Eastern Michigan University in English and written, it was written communications with yep. emphasis in teaching writing, and then I wanted a PhD because I really wanted to be a really good college teacher I want and I didn't really know much about the research component and scholarly component so I applied to Michigan State with that mindset I wanted to like work on black students in writing but I didn't really think of myself as a scholar I wanted to be a kind of a teacher scholar just a resource, be a really yeah. good really good teacher and then when I got to my doctoral program and then all of my colleagues were like you're not submitting to conferences you're not publishing with your faculty and and so they had all these publications and conferences and I had nothing Mm. and then I was like oh my gosh I am just behind and that was the first time in my life that I really felt behind and not advanced so then that first year I started every seminar paper I would just send out for publication not knowing that there were particular moves that you had to make from a paper to turn into a scholar- scholarly article because mm. my professors just said just start writing and sending things out. And so I did and they were just getting rejected with some of the most critical and harshest sure. feedback. But I learned from that and I'm like, oh, this is not a seminar paper. These are the thing I know how to write. So I just now I know what the conventions of scholarly articles are. I can execute them now and so then I started doing that and submitting conferences and then by the time I had graduated and got my PhD I had quite a few publications and I had felt like I caught up to my peers and now I think you know I'm probably one of the more productive ones from you know the program yeah.
0: Well it seems like you know if we fast forward to today or just before today you made a career of what you wanted to do. Yes Tell me more about your research on students of color and writing and proficiencies yeah. and success and all that. And I know you've got so much, but yeah. I, just give us the context for what was the general problem you were trying to solve in so your research.
1: When I was in college, I remember doing well on my writing courses, but then I remember a professor saying, I know you did well in my class writing, but I think you should take a one-credit remedial writing course. And I'm like, why would I have to go back when oh. I did well? And she said, well, it's because you write like you talk. Mm. And so I wondered what's wrong with that. I kind of yeah. wish more people did. And so, and it wasn't so much that my grammar was wrong. It was just that my style, what I came to learn is that my style, the way in which I tell stories, the way in which I organize you know, thought is Africanized. And so, and then there are some like phonological patterns of my speech yep. that distinguish me as a black speaker. Right. And, but throughout my life as a, you know, student in high school and elementary and junior high, I was always accused of sounding white, but then I was told that I sound black. And so I actually realized as so I started reading up on that in my master's program, and I said, yes, I am black and I sound black. And there's nothing wrong with it. Right. So that's kind of how I started thinking about the research and supporting black student writers, saying that you can sound black, you can write black, and you can still be an excellent writer and meet the requirements and expectations for academic writing. So I started doing you know, a lot of work on advocating for students' rights to their own language because it's about being able to understand speakers, not change who they are and their Mm. style. So that's kind of how I got into the area. And then when I started publishing, I found that editors actually loved to work with me because they could understand me, and my Mm. writing was very clear. In grad school, I I was accused of being colloquial or being a little too plain. And then when I started publishing, folks liked to copy edit my work because they could understand it, and I didn't try to sound... In a way that it wasn't. Right. Yeah. It's the authenticity. It's the authenticity. Yeah.
0: And that is, I could see how that could be a challenge uh, in that, in the learning environment and research environment, part of why I think we haven't solved a lot of problems Mm -hmm. is because we can't hardly understand all that's been done. I mean, right? Right. And so it's about the audience. And I think you're speaking to people, you're doing your research for, to have a resonance in the earth. Right. And I think there's there's others who are it more doing it more for scholarly activity. Right. Right. And I think it sounds to me there's a difference there.
1: Right. For me, I want my scholarship to impact people's lives because I am a humanist. I'm trained in the humanities, and so I understand the human component to how you sure. affect change. But I also understand develop what it means to develop a social and critical consciousness. So, and how you can bring those things into an English classroom and a writing classroom. It doesn't have to be this kind of traditional Eurocentric model that doesn't help students and, you know, faculty yeah. and scholars understand the ways in which power and privilege work and impact people and their lives mm. and the role that literacy plays in that.
0: It plays a huge role.
1: It plays a huge role.
0: Humongous role.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, you've done that research. Mm-hmm. You've helped scholars understand better this crossroads of understanding. Yes. Uh, And now you're transitioning to the Lee Honors College as the associate dean. Yeah. The the real question is, how are you going to bring what you've been doing to that work? Why was that associate deanship attractive to you, knowing what we know about what you care about?
1: Right. So when I looked at the demographics of the Lee Honors College, I found that with while the African-American student population is around 12 percent, it's about between four and five in the Lee Honors College. Um, I also found that international students were underrepresented, so one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I brought was a perspective that could attract students um, from diverse backgrounds so that the Honors College mirrored the um, demographics of Western so that's why i was attracted to it and thinking about ways in which an honors college curriculum can shape and have impact because my research is focused in many ways on students of underprivileged and um, populations but there's no reason that has nothing to do with their cognitive Abilities, ability and right. skill it's an issue of, it's an issue of access and so i wanted to come there so i could Um, advocate for that same access um, that exists in the broader western Michigan population. So that's why I was attracted. And I'm
0: sure that that even falls back to your research. Yes. You you can understand the
1: disconnect. Yes. Because really, I'm thinking about myself when I was an undergrad and why I didn't even think to apply for an honors college um, experience even at Michigan. I could have. But I knew I didn't see people like me there, yeah. and so I didn't see that as a safe environment where I could find people that, you know, shared some collective experiences. I didn't want to be told again that I write like I talk, so, mm. yeah.
0: Yeah, I can understand it. So what are you most excited about for this new position and about the Leonors College? We've had the dean... Yeah. Here on the podcast, yeah. he's excited about the future. What are you most excited I am
1: about? excited about the opportunity to think about access mm-hmm. and privilege. And so oftentimes when we work with African-American students, and a lot of times when we do grants to work to, for example, bring African-American students or minority students to STEM education, it often is positioned from the assumption that there's a deficit and that we need to provide ver- diversity because they're underperforming. And so I want to show that stu- that minority students can perform that they have these access it's that it's untapped. So a lot of students ha- a lot of minority students have the required like GPA to join the honors college
0: but they, but don't, they have don't access to but like, they yeah. don't
1: but e- either it's they don't have access or they don't see the value of that them being belonging yeah, there sure. so i want so i've thought about you know, African American students from the assumption that they're underperforming, particularly in the first part of my um, career. But even in that research, I showed that a lot of them actually performed higher in academic writing than other students. So I want to show that African American students and all students and st- uh, other minority yeah. groups can succeed.
0: Yeah, and if we do that yeah. for all students,
1: if we do that, and, and it's my, work. yeah, my research has shown like when I taught. The Afrocentric curriculum at Michigan State did research on it. Only like five of the students in the curric- in, in the class were African American. The rest were not. And so what I showed and through the writing assessment activities that I was able to align the work that they did with the learning outcomes and objectives for the course that were standard across all the first year writing courses, and found that all students can perform and write academically when using content besides Eurocentric content.
0: Wow. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am I am really pleased that you are there and going yeah. to be fighting that fight and yeah. doing the work. I like to fight. Using research and <laughs> yeah. data, right? It's yeah. a data-driven yeah, strategy. Yeah, it's a you're data-driven here strategy. On a, you're not here on a quest. You're here to bring action to what yeah. we know is true. Yes. Uh, and so I appreciate you and your work. Congratulations Thank on your you. new role. Thank you. And uh, we're glad to have had you on the podcast
1: yeah, Thanks today. for having me.
0: Uh, If you want to know more about Dr. Stacey Perryman-Clark and the work she's going to be doing in the Lee Anders College and her work already uh, to advocate for a new perspective uh, that is authentic and real about all of our students and their performance, you can go to mywmu.com slash W and you can get it there. For all of you who are out there today, remember Western Michigan University is an amazing place with great opportunities and great promise. If you're out and about, tell someone that. Tell them about who we are. What makes us great? The people. As imperfect as we are, we are strong together. And uh, Western Michigan University continues to make a difference. If you do that, you will help us all to raise the W.